So this morning uh, is a really interesting morning. Uh, you know as a church we desire to be a community of grace and peace for our city and the world. And that means one of the things that's most important to us is figuring out how to love our city and how to love our city really well. Right? There's a lot, of, a lot of ways that we might try to love that kind of fall short of getting at the deeper, the deeper heart of the issue sometimes. Last week, as we started talking about where we're going in this uh, movement as a church, we talked about the importance for us to act when we see our world lacking wholeness or where our world is not exactly thriving as God would have it to be, right? That we, we have to be people who do something about that, right? But for us to be people who do something about it, we have to act according to uh, both what the needs really are, which takes a lot of deep listening and learning and a lot of deep empathy, Right? And we also have to act according to the cards that are in our hands. Well, this morning, for the first time, we're going to have our first ever South Bend City Church Studebaker Talks. And I'm really excited. We have three leaders from the community that are here this morning to help us with both of those, uh, both of those ways of acting, right? These leaders here are representing organizations that are already doing fantastic things in our area, right? So we have the opportunity to see what is already in our hand as a city, what is already going on that is good. And they also have a lot of wisdom to teach us from life experience uh, with people in our community. And so may this be a time for us to just open our hearts and open our ears to listen and just to receive whatever it is that God would have for us this morning so that we can go out and when we do act, when we do work for wholeness in our city, when we do work to love our city towards wholeness, that we're doing so in the most appropriate and helpful way possible. Sound good? All right. Well, our first uh, speaker this morning uh, is my friend Sam Santeus. Now, Sam is somebody who I both respect immensely who he is and respect the organization he works for. When I uh, made my transition from uh, the, the neighborhood church I was a part of here in town to South Bend City Church, uh, one of the first things that, that most people I talked to said, all right, if you're going to not just be focused on your neighborhood now, and if you're going to be going like citywide, there's this guy you have to talk to, you have to talk to Sam, right? So my friends ended up connecting me and we had coffee together. And I've just been a huge fan of Sam since then. Sam is the director of La Casa de Amistad, which is a Latino community center on the west side. Uh, they, he is responsible for helping to uh, push West Side Wednesdays and encourage us to see and embrace the west side uh, much more. Uh, he is willing to be here with us this morning, even though it's the World Cup final going on <laughs> a little bit, right? So that's much love and sacrifice from Sam and this. So if you can, uh, welcome to our carpet here this morning. Let's welcome Sam Santeus. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Ryan. So yes, the game starts at 11, so I'm not under pressure for this first one. So the next ones, I'll be sure I'm uh, tracking my time here so I can watch my game. Um, so it was interesting when, uh, when Ryan asked me to, to speak and uh, was debating like what I would talk about and what I would cover, I loved this topic, uh, this, this wholeness, thinking about together. And then I really started thinking about how to, you know, t talking about the, the pieces he gave us, talking about things that fit, how do you get things to come together, how do you get people, um, communities, different backgrounds, folks to work together. So I was really, really interested in that. And so I'm not going to just do a commercial about La Casa and our work, uh, but I'm going to talk a little bit about things that fit and finding ways to try to make uh, things fit. So follow along with me uh, here a little bit. So I'll give you a little more background on myself. Uh, so my name is Samuel Centeas Coates. I was born in Santa Cruz, Bolivia. Uh, everybody just calls me Sam. Uh, I always introduce myself quick. And uh, 
so I'm an immigrant. I was born in another country. Spanish was my first language. Uh, my mother is Beverly Coates, a red-haired, green-eyed, Viking white woman from Saginaw, Michigan. She was a missionary to Bolivia after she graduated college uh, and uh, ended up uh, falling in love with the country and deciding to stay there and then fell in love with my dad and got married. Uh, so my dad, Daniel Centellas, is a very indigenous-looking um, character from the mountains of Bolivia. Uh, he was born in a very small town called Oruro, uh, up in the very, very high mountain altitude. I was in Denver last week and people complained about Denver being high. My dad was born two miles up. Right, so twice as high uh, as Denver. And so, interestingly, they got married, had children. We were born uh, in this town, uh, Santa Cruz, Bolivia, which is now the biggest city in the country. And why I tell part of that story is explaining my background, but also that I was the whitest kid of 16 cousins. <laughs> I didn't fit. And then interestingly, when I was seven years old, we came to the United States for Christmas. We were visiting my mom's family. And a couple days after Christmas, our parents woke us up and said, we're, we're not going home. I mean, I'd only packed for 10 days. I'd told my dog Tony bye and played with him and kissed my abuelita. Um, and we didn't go back. I didn't go back for six years. So then right away, I had to start school in the United States. And we went to the ENL school, which is predominantly Mexican. And then there's this weird white kid who speaks Spanish in their class. Once again, I didn't fit. And I think part of why I wanted to bring those examples up is talking about things that fit. I'm going to go back to that puzzle piece a lot and talking about how things fit. So I grew up in Michigan. I'm a boy who likes cars and is good at math, so I became an engineer because that's what every boy who loves cars that's good at math in Michigan does. And I went to school at Western Michigan University, uh, studied to be an engineer, and then worked in the automotive industry. Uh, for those of you who know me and know stereotypical engineers, I'm not an engineer. Um, I like to talk all Monday morning about what I did all weekend, and I like to chit-chat in the office and go get coffee and bagels. Engineers don't like to do those things. They like to work hard, focus, and get their job done. And so once again, I didn't fit. Uh, so then I went back to school. I got a master's in education. I worked for colleges for 10 years. And that's what brought me to the city of South Bend. So I came to South Bend to work at IU South Bend and uh, got the opportunity to work with an amazing woman. Karen White was my boss. Some of you might know her from, from city council. Uh, I remember when I interviewed with her, and I, I looked her up and researched all the things she did, I was like, please, woman, hire me. I just want nothing in my life more than this woman to hire me. And luckily, she did. And I moved to South Bend. And interestingly, following my, my formula of things that don't fit, South Bend is a city that doesn't fit. We're not big enough to be cool. Right? No offense. I, I love South Bend. Right? I, for those of you that follow me on social media, I'm a diehard South Bender. But South Bend's not big enough to be considered cool. All right? We're not a Chicago. We're not an Indianapolis. Uh, but we're not small enough to be like quaint and cute, like Goshen. Right? So we're, we're too big to be quaint and cute. We're too small to be cool. Uh, and so we're a weird city that doesn't fit. Right? We don't fit that model of what people are generally, what we think people are generally looking for. Well, I got involved in the city, you know, as an immigrant, everywhere I've lived and worked, I've gotten involved with the Latino community locally. Um, I always joke with people as a Bolivian, no one's ever met, everyone's, everyone has only ever met one other Bolivian. Like when I tell people I'm Bolivian, they're like, oh yeah, I met somebody else. Um, so growing up in the Midwest, we were Mexican, right? So I was adopted Mexican, we shopped at Mexican grocery stores. Yes, I like tacos. No, we don't eat them in Bolivia. Um, <laughs> And, and so I've always connected with that community. And there's a great Latino community in this town. 
um, high percentage by the, by the area that we're in. So South Bend's percentage of the Latino population is three, almost four times what the state uh, percentage is. So there's a, there's a dense population here, here in town. And so I've always been connected, and then somebody from the La Casa board uh, just over five years ago now asked if I'd be interested in applying uh, to work for the organization. And uh, my joke to him was like, well, you know I'm not Mexican, right? Uh, he goes, yeah, I know you're Colombian. I'm like, ah. Oh. Because by de facto, anybody not Mexican generally is Colombian by everybody other's thought process, right? So I said, no, no, you know, I'm Bolivian. Um, and uh, luckily, they still hired me. And uh, I've been there now for five years and just love it. So let me tell you a little bit about La Casa. So La Casa is the Latino Youth and Community Center here in South Bend. We were founded in 1973. So you think about Latino community. I know somebody was like, wow, what? Um, you think about Latino community centers in the Midwest, like we're great-great-grandma. It doesn't get a lot older uh, than La Casa. And we're also interesting, part of it because of South Bend size, we literally do everything. So we have a bilingual preschool where during the academic year, four-year-old kids are in our building getting ready for kindergarten in Spanish and English. Uh, then we do youth programming throughout the year, during the academic year. Right now, we've got our summer camps that are going on. Um, and so then we have a bevy of adult programs, some pretty basic, like English classes and computer skills classes and uh, job help, different things like that. But then also some very specific immigrant-based services. Uh, we have a, a citizenship program where we help people prepare for the naturalization process. It's a really hard interview to become an American citizen, and so we help people prep for that. 100% success rate. Uh, so far, 10 years running, 10 years running. And other, other custom services like an immigration clinic and some basic things like a food pantry. So we literally do everything. And it's also because of South Bend's weird size, because we're big enough that we need all those things, but small enough that we could have it all in one place, versus Chicago has 11 Latino community centers in it. And so it's just been a great opportunity. I've been there for five years, and, and I work with a community that doesn't fit. And going back to that theme, it's, it's a community that feels ostracized uh, now more than ever, uh, that feels that people are looking down on them now more than ever, that feel that they've been segregated, sometimes legally, sometimes de by de facto, historically, segregation has happened in, the, in our communities, uh, and relegated to a certain position in life, either through where they work or what they do which is hard for someone who came from a biracial marriage, whose parents were biracially married in the early 1970s, to see just how hard some of those things still are in our country. And, and so that, that's where, once again, I'm, I'm going back to this theme of you know, thinking about things that fit. And, and so that's where I wanted to kind of give a little bit of my kind of call to action and thinking about how does this all, how does this all come together? Right? How do we help fix some of these things to make people feel like they fit? How do we make a whole city? I wore my West Side South Bend shirt today. Uh, La Casa, five years ago, really started on a, on a movement of trying to be more advocates, to be out talking to people about the issues that affect our community. It, it isn't enough for us just to be creating programs to solve symptoms. How do we get involved in the root issue of some of those things? And that's where I love this thing about being whole. It's one of the biggest issues in this country is really the fact that we try to lump things that are the same together, right? We've segregated people, we've you know, made people do different things, and we've tried to fit everybody into a different category, and we haven't tried to figure out how do we get people from different walks of life, different faiths, different backgrounds, different cultures, different languages to fit together. 
Because what's interesting, when you talk about wholeness, sometimes people think that that gets rid of diversity. Uh, but really, it's diversity that then makes those pieces fit. I was using the example of, of fit in puzzles. And imagine trying to put together a puzzle with all the pieces were perfectly square. Even though when you dump out a box of puzzle pieces, you're like, oh, these are never going to fit together. But they do, right? They do fit together. You just have to take the time and focus to be able to get those things to fit. And so that's why when I think about how do we get our communities to integrate more, to work together, it's not about assimilation. It's about understanding different people's perspectives. It's about learning about their backgrounds. And it's about getting yourself not to fit. So I think as much as, you know, I remember I thanked my mom for this a couple years ago when I finally figured it out. I think I've been successful in my life because I haven't fit. I, I was forced not to fit. I was made not to fit. I could never blend in. I could never just try to be Sam, that kid in class. I always had to, I was always the oddball. And that made me have to stand out. And so what I've tried to encourage now other people to do is as you think about how we create wholeness, not just how are we making other people fit, how am I making myself unfit and unfitting myself from this position? And that might be that, hey, at a family gathering when family members are talking about something that you have to stand up and say, hey, you know what, that's not cool. Or with a group of friends. And you have to unfit yourself to say, that's, that's not the kind of world that I want to live in. I want to do something else. And I'm going to unfit myself to help other people fit. And that's what's going to get people out of their comfort zone, get you out of your comfort zone, get my community out of its comfort zone, get our kids out of their comfort zone, and that's what will put puzzle pieces together and create fit. That's why we created things like Westside South Bend, so that we could get people to come to our neighborhood. Come, look, have lunch, have a good time, enjoy, get to know people, maybe think about living in a neighborhood like this and, and figuring out how to fit those pieces together. So I thank you. I think that is my time. And my just kind of closing word is just to really say, how can you unfit yourself from where you are to help other people fit? And that's what's going to make the world a better place and a lot more whole. Thank you. Oh, I love it. How can you unfit yourself to help others to fit? That's really great. Uh, if you want to find out more about what Sam's talking about, you can hit up lacasadaamistad.org is their website, and you can get connected there. They have all sorts of volunteering opportunities through La Casa. Uh, one uh, action step I would say is this. If you find your heart getting stirred and you're willing to take that first uh, action step to jump into something, we have kind of a grassroots connecting point with our church here. It's a Facebook group, uh, which I wish there was something better than Facebook, but it's the best we got for now. Uh, it's a Facebook group called the South Bend City Church Collective. If you're not in there, go ahead and jump in. What that group is, it's a join me group. It's a join me to hang out. It's a join me to volunteer. Uh, it's a join me to uh, be in community community together, right? And so if you find yourself stirred in this and you want to jump in uh, with La Casa and some of the things Sam was talking about, uh, go ahead and post it there and say, hey, I'm going to go ahead and be doing this thing. Who wants to join me in it? Because there might be others in this community that want to take action and want to join in with that, uh, but just don't know where to begin. So you taking that step can extend a great bridge towards somebody else to act. Sound good? All right. Uh, transitioning next. Uh, next, we have Michelle Arley. Michelle is a friend of mine uh, that we go back oh, about 10 years now. Uh, Michelle is somebody that I have 
uh, immense respect for. Her integrity goes beyond probably anybody I've ever met. Uh, who she is is who she is through and through, and you know exactly what you're going to get from her. So I'm thankful for her. I'm thankful for her character. She works for Hope Ministries right now as a caseworker doing a fantastic job, and I'm excited for the wisdom she has to share with us this morning. Can you welcome my friend Michelle? Thank you. Good morning. Well, as Ryan said, I work for Hope Ministries. Hope Ministries provides two primary services to the city. One, we provide, we provide meals, two meals a day, 365 days a year, to whomever would like to come and eat a meal there. And the other service that Hope Ministries provides is a transitional housing program. Several years back, God planted hope in my heart, and I wasn't even really sure how or why, but I was in seminary about six years back, and a J term was coming up, and I knew I wasn't planning to take a class, so I thought, I'm going to call Hope and see if I can just go hang out there and see what's what. So I called, and someone said, sure, come on in. So during that January, I spent many hours in one month learning about, sitting in on, experiencing the community meetings, the classes, the chapels, and I loved it. All of those things are designed to help people face their deep pain and begin to heal and transform through Jesus. So after that month, I left excited. I loved Hope Ministries' mission to help people heal, transform, and thrive. And that made me determined to do my 400-hour internship there when I got to that point in my seminary training. So I called back in 2016 and I said to the current um, spiritual life director, would you be willing to be my supervisor and let me come and intern there uh, this summer? And he, he was a little leery, hadn't done that before, but he took me on, and I'm so glad he did. I was able to lead chapels. I was able to lead some of those community meetings. I was able to uh, teach classes. And probably most importantly, even though I love all that stuff, I was able to have lots and lots of one-on-one -on -one conversations and really get to know some people there. And I loved the people. I loved the people I was working with. And the staff seemed okay too. So I thought when I left there, I thought, God, I believe God wants me here. This is, I don't know when I'll be here, but I believe that this is part of my journey. And I, I waited, I wouldn't say patiently, but God made it happen really fast. So last summer in August, I started working at Hope Ministries. One of the things I really love at Hope is that I get to develop relationships. Um, I have found that the relationships that I'm developing with the people at Hope are, are consistently mutually beneficial. And my life is richer because of the connections I have with the women at Hope. As I listen to people tell, tell their story, and as I listen to them talk, it's interesting the way they describe themselves. And sometimes it's, it's really heartbreaking. But one guy uh, was graduating from the HOPE program recently, and he was telling a bit of his story. And he said, he just kind of stopped at one point as he just told some things about himself. And he said, I am a menace to society. And that got chuckles and laughs, but I'm pretty sure he meant it. 
And uh, one of my women, as she talks to me, consistently says things like, that's how addicts think. And another woman, as we were talking about what she had done for a job in the past and what she might do for a job in the future, just looked at me and said point blank, nobody wants a violent offender taking care of grandma. And these are just, these are some of the things I hear, right? These labels, menace, addict, violent offender, homeless, bad mom, unwanted, alone. And I can relate to labels because I have some of my own, and I imagine that you do too. Some that uh, other people have given you, and some that we've given ourselves. And the thing I hate about labels is that they reduce a person to a single, often negative characteristic. Scripture tells an account of a man who was really good at labeling and really bad at loving. A Pharisee, Simon, invites Jesus to his home for a meal. And somehow in the course of that gathering, a woman enters the scene and begins to weep on Jesus' feet. And Simon thinks, if this man were really a prophet, he would know what kind of woman this is. A sinner. A woman with a known reputation in town. And I love what Jesus does here. He addresses Simon and he starts to tell him a story and ask him some questions about forgiveness and love. And then, while he looks at the woman, he continues to address Simon. Do you see this woman? From the time she entered, she has not stopped kissing my feet. She has washed my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. She's poured out expensive ointment on me, anointing me. And Jesus says to the woman, your sins are forgiven. See, what I see happening here is Simon looks at the woman and says, sinner. Jesus sees the woman and says, okay, sinner. And humble and generous and hurting and seeking, and he adds something new, forgiven. Jesus, this is just like God. This is just like God. Back in Genesis 16, a bit of Hagar's story is told, and Hagar was a slave woman who'd been impregnated by her master, ill-treated by her mistress, and she'd run away. She was in dire circumstances. And God found her there, and God spoke to her there. He spoke prophecy over her, he gave her hope, he guided her next steps, and Hagar names God there, the God who sees. Really seeing people like God does and like Jesus did over and over again in the gospel stories is the first step to developing meaningful relationships with people. Soon after I started at Hope Ministries, I remember the executive director saying that 
People don't become homeless just because they run out of material um, resources. They become homeless when they also run out of relationships. A couple weeks back, I was really excited to hear Jason say that there are, there are several things that we do not do alone. And two of them were heal and grow. And we agree with that at Hope as well. We don't do those things alone. Those who've been at Hope way longer than I have have found that the two primary factors in continued stabilization of our residents once they leave Hope are a growing relationship with God and really belonging in a church family. I think most of us know that you don't come, you don't start going to a church unless somebody, I mean usually, unless somebody you know invites you, okay? And then people stay in a church and actually begin to feel like they belong in a church as they continue to develop relationships with people in the church. Relationship, it's something we all need, right? If you have a heart that desires to partner with what God is doing to help the homeless, the people who are homeless in your city, meet someone. Spend some time. Share your story. Listen to their story. Connection. I, I really think it's as simple and as complex as that. Develop meaningful relationships with people, and together we will all grow in family resemblance to Jesus. Awesome. Thanks, Michelle. Uh, what I took from that is uh, really seeing people like how God sees them as the first step in developing meaningful relationships. It's a great challenge for us as we look around at the other people that we see in our city, our neighbors, or maybe just the people that we pass by. What does it mean for us to really see them the way that God does? Good stuff. Thanks so much, Michelle. Uh, all right. Our third and final speaker for the carpet this morning uh, is Corey Lance from Transformation Ministries. Uh, Corey has been working in youth development in our city for the last 10 years. I first got to know Corey when he was a seventh grader and I was in college, which makes me feel insanely old. Uh, but I was a small group leader for him back in his youth group days. Uh, so it's really great to be able to see uh, all the growth in him and to, to be able to go walk through this adventure of just learning about our city and learning to love it. And I've learned so much from Corey in the recent years. So thankful for him and excited for what we have to learn from him this morning. Can you welcome Corey Lance? Thanks, Ryan. It's good to be back up here. It's, it's, a, it's a pleasure to be able to speak with you guys and share with you a little bit. Ryan, I don't know if he remembers this, but he was my very first small group leader, which he mentioned. But it was actually in a closet. I remember it was, I, the first time I've been to this church, and they're like, okay, you're going to be in this small group. It's this guy. He's this cool college soccer player. He had a lot more blonde hair back then. And they're like, and you're meeting in this room. And I was like, it was a closet. And they closed the door, and I was like, this church is crazy. So hopefully you don't meet with your youth here in the closets. That's weird. <laughs> I've worked with youth in this city uh, for the past nine years. And Every student that I kind of come in contact with, they tend to be asking themselves this deep question within their heart. And some say it verbally, but a lot of them just, they kind of express it through their actions. And, and I know throughout this country that a lot of kids are probably asking a similar question, but I believe that our kids are asking it even more loudly uh, due to the trauma and the lack of resources and the marginalization that a lot of the students that I work with are, are facing. 
And the question is this. It's pretty simple. Where do I belong? Where do I belong? And so I want to share with you some of the realities of some of the things that our students are facing that are leading them to ask this question of where do I belong? I think of one of my students who at the age of 14 was kicked out of his home and has essentially been homeless ever since. I think about one of my students who uh, was born while his mother was incarcerated and then when, when she was still incarcerated, he was, he was abused repeatedly um, by a family member waiting for her to return. I think of one of my students who, who's the son of a father who has 26 children is just not very high up on the priority list to, to spend time with his dad. I think of one of my, my students who has moved 24 times in a matter of just two years. I think of a student of mine who, uh, at the age of 15, the person he'd been calling father or dad was actually not his biological father, and just to see how that just crushed him. I think of another student who uh, has been suspended and expelled repeatedly from schools in this community uh, under the simple label of just defiance. I think of one of my students who my wife and I had to watch as she entered into the juvenile justice center because nobody, nobody in her family would just take her and, and allow her to live with her for a short period of time. I think of my a student of ours uh, last year who um, was killed and, 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 and murdered because he was kind of in the wrong place at the wrong time. And I think about a student who um, in high school, uh, he'd come back to me and he was really upset and he was really hurt and, and he shared with me the story of a teacher who um, came up to him after he'd put his head down after he completed his, his work for the class and the teacher was frustrated and said, just keep your head down, you're just going to be a drug dealer someday anyways. I think about the, 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 the stories of my students and how many of them have been shot at and stolen from and physically hurt uh, emotionally and, and, and spiritually in so many different ways. And I just think of stories after stories that have led them to, to different types of trauma that they've experienced. And then I think about the statistics that kind of make up the students that I work with. And I, I realize that 80% of them um, do not have an active relationship with their biological father. And 90% of them... Um, live below the poverty line. 93% of them um, have been directly affected by the criminal justice system, and nearly all of them have experienced some form of deep trauma. Life has been extremely hard for these individuals, as you can see. And when I share these stories, I often get a mix of reactions. I get some people saying, there's no way that that's true. Or I get some people saying, well, what did they do? What did their parent do to make this happen? It must be their fault in some way. I get others who are just kind of saying, well, there's got to be a solution. How can we fix this? Can, can we get them a job or get them in a different school or get them in a different home? What is the solution? There's got to be an easy fix to this. I get other people who are just kind of paralyzed with sadness and grief for what the child has to go through. And then I get some who, who allow that sorriness that they feel towards the child that kind of leads to this patronizing uh, relationship of kind of superiority of, of I'm up here and they're down here and they just need my help so much. Father Greg Boyle from Homeboy Industries, uh, he wrote a book called Tattoos on the Heart. He works with formerly um, gang-affiliated, formerly incarcerated men and women of Los Angeles. And he says this quote that I just love. He says, we must stand in awe of what the marginalized have to carry rather than in judgment in how they carry it. And so many times we tend to just judge and assume things, and I've been there before, and we just, without even knowing the person, without even spending any time with this person, and because I get to know the students that I just shared about, I get to see the gold inside of them, I get to see their passions and their gifts and their strengths, I get to see their innocence, I get to see their, their, their childlike faith, I get to see their potential. 
Um, and, I, and like I said, I get to see the gold that's inside of them just kind of waiting to be drawn out. I get to see their humanity and how God made them in his image and he made them very good just like he made the rest of creation. These are the things that I get to see because I know them. Well, Father Greg also says this, human beings cannot demonize people that they know. And I love that because we must know them. That's where it starts. And Michelle talked about that. But I think I would take it even a step further. And I say, God is not calling us just to know these youth. He's calling us to, to live in kinship with them. Where we belong to one another in such a way where it's, it's no longer us versus them, but it's, it's I need you and you need me. And your challenges become my challenges and my burdens become your burdens. And your problems become my problems. And I'm no longer just the helper that's up here helping you but I'm saying, no, we're friends and where this mutuality is displayed to, to, to the way I believe God wants it to be. We're on the same playing field. We need each other. And Jesus shows this so many times in the Gospels. He shows this to us. And I think about Matthew 15 when, when Jesus is calling his first disciples and he's calling a lot of times kids that are the age that I work with, teens, and they're kids without jobs and, and without an education and, and they didn't get the... the, the the position that they might have been looking for with the religious leaders. And Jesus calls and says, be part of my friend group. Be part of my closest group that I actually need and I will depend on and I will rely on up until the day of his crucifixion. These were the men, these were the boys that he was kind of leaning on and saying, I need you. Jesus, who is perfect, all these miracles he had performed, he's saying, I need you, young man. And then I think about Luke 15 when Jesus eats with the tax collectors and the notorious sinners, and he, he demonstrates this ability to, to say, you know what, I know the Pharisees and the, and the righteous are saying, I should not be with these people, but no, he's saying, I need them. I need to have dinner with them. I need to, to lean into this relationship. I need to learn from them, and I need to hear them. And then I think about the woman who was caught in the act of adultery in John 8. You've all heard this story, where the accusers, the Pharisees, take this woman, the, the accused, and they say, we want to hurt her and humiliate her for what she did. And Jesus kind of puts them on level playing field like he does so well. And he says, okay, if you have not sinned, then you take the stone and you throw it at this woman. And we all know what happens. Everyone drops the, the stone. And Jesus says, no, we're all, whether, whether you've committed this sin like this woman or whether you've, you're, you're self-righteous or whatever it is, we're all on the same playing field. We are all there together. And Jesus shows this radical acceptance of this woman when, when no one else was saying that, that he should be doing so. So where do the students of this city belong? At Transformation Ministries, we say, we start by saying, you know, you all belong to God. That's, that's, that's pretty obvious. But, no, but you also belong to each other. Mentors, parents, students, tutors, everyone who's affiliated with our ministry, we belong to one another. We need each other. To our students, we say, we need to be in your homes, in your streets, in your schools. We need to be with you in that way. And you need to be in our lives, in our homes. And you need to have dinner with us. And you need to be part of who we are. And to our students, we say, we need your stories. We need your humor. We need your perspective. We need your worldview. We need you students to teach us what we don't know about God. So I think of so many students that I've worked with that have, that have kind of displayed this, this kinship to me. And I think about a student who, when I, who, had gave me, who gave me a big hug and embraced me after I had experienced some of the hardest news of my life. I think about a student who continually asked me deep, vulnerable, real questions about God that continues to, to keep my faith fresh and sharp and kind of keep, me, keep it raw. 
I think about a student to me who, who just models grit and resilience and perseverance and toughness like I could never imagine someone doing. I think about the student who has um, taught me about my whiteness and what that means in this world of so many racial tension, tensions and racial dynamics that are crazy. I think about the student who's kind of adopted my own girls as his sibling and he protects them and watches out for them and plays with them. And I think of the student who keeps me lighthearted and laughing in and, and, and the moments where life just feels really, really heavy and overwhelming. And I think about all the students who kind of teach me this, um, this ability to, to see myself in the way God sees me and to learn more about the city and ultimately learn more about Jesus. Kinship with the marginalized is what makes the gospel become fully alive. I truly believe that. Kinship with the marginalized is what makes the gospel become fully alive. It's where God makes the most sense. It's where we see the world more thoughtfully and holistically. It's where struggles of other people become personalized and they're not distant and foreign. It's where we can be safe in relationships and we don't have to hide anything or we don't have to try to prove anything. This is kinship. And so I, I challenge South Bend City Church to say, no, this is the gospel. This is the full gospel. When we are walking alongside the marginalized in a way where we are equal with them, where we belong to them, where we are in full kinship. And I challenge South Bend City Church to demonstrate this to the youth in our city. The youth in our city are, are asking for this. They're longing for this. They want this type of kinship. And I also, with you as we do that, I believe that we will experience more of Jesus than we ever have before. Thank you. Thanks, Corey. Uh, the thing I wrote down from that is the primary question kids in our city are asking is, where do I belong? Uh, one of the things that's been most profound through this process for me is I really didn't know what we were going to get this morning. Right? As I talked to each of these leaders, I knew them personally. I have great respect for them and their organizations and what they're doing in their organizations. Uh, but all I talked to them was, hey, help us to know what it's like to love our city towards wholeness. And did you see the solutions they were pointing us to? There was so much consistency, right? We had Sam talking about fit and the need to bring people to fit people, to see people fit together, right? And we had Michelle talking about community and connection and relationship and belonging and belonging and kinship coming from Corey. They all were pointing us to the same thing. That's how I know that we're zeroing in on what, a, what the right answers are, what the right approaches are, is when we have these people in different, very different fields, all pointing to the same thing as the basic need to be in human connection and relationship with one another as we walk along these paths, right? May we not be people that just pursue the easy answers, just pursue the easy solutions, but may we be a church who really sees our neighbors and looks to bring them into connection. Sound good? All right, go ahead and stand with me if you can as we leave. One last thing I want to leave you with is, if you're not familiar with it, we have a connection point together uh, on Facebook. I know Facebook's not ideal for everyone, uh, but it's what we have right now. So we have the South Bend City Church Collective. You can search that on Facebook. That is a join me group, we say. And what do we mean by that is it's not uh, just updating everybody about whatever your thoughts on whatever is going on in the world. Uh, our collective is a place where you say, this is what I'm doing, join me in it. And so maybe that's just hanging out and finding community together over a cookout, or or maybe that's getting involved in volunteering and doing something in our city. So if something is stirred in you today and you get in and you're listening more and you're exploring more and you get moved towards action in it, I encourage you to post that in the collective because there might be somebody else out there that is stirred as well that doesn't know where to begin or maybe has a little bit of fear or anxiety about that.
that and you saying, hey, I'm going to get involved by volunteering in this way, uh, do you want to join me, can provide an on-ramp for somebody else who may be looking for a way to act. So I encourage you and point you towards that as well. All right, as we go today, may you be encouraged in knowing that you have a God who sees you right where you're at and loves you very, very much. And may we be a people who see our neighbors around us, desire to see our neighbors for who they really are, where they're really at, and invite them into belonging with us and with God. As you go this week, grace and peace be with you. Have a great day.